It is both human nature and conditioned behavior to seek security, happiness, and meaning amidst the unreliable and fleeting. How we gravitate towards the dazzling gadgets that deliver little else than buyer's remorse. Enticing entrees followed by gastric discomfort. Cherishing approval one day only to receive criticism the next. Watching helplessly as our 15 minutes of fame fade away into insignificance. As the youth of today responds with blank expressions when I mention public enemy or the replacements, <laughs> this has actually happened. So too, thankfully, will the Foo Fighters prove ephemeral. <laughs> this would not be a Dharma talk unless I insulted the Foo Fighters. Uh, if we live chasing what effortlessly and immediately feels good, all we learn is that facile pleasures pass and leave us empty-handed. Worse, the run-of-the-mill materialist pursuit of happiness promotes a kind of chronic dissatisfaction. We have to chase after new pleasures to replace the old ones that have the shelf life of yogurt. Entranced by the facile posts on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or the enticing hookups offered by Tinder, Grinder, and OkCupid, or the ritualistic numbing routines of shopping, drugs, alcohol, or sugar consumption, we're missing the big point of existence. For an experience to be authentic and true, it cannot, by definition, require a screen, nor can it be occurring somewhere else. It has to be right here, right now, felt in your body, known as a true emotional experience. The world we inherit bombards us with a, a poundingly repetitive message, you are what you have. Somewhere out there in the glassy modernist towers that line the river on Kent, <laughs> people live without ever experiencing aging or illness. <laughs> they never have bowel movements. They live completely free of wrinkles, boredom, or loneliness. And if we could only find the perfect job to buy the perfect condo with spectacular views, closets wedged with fabulous clothes, we could throw parties that would attract all the right people our sophisticated friends would laugh at our jokes and finally we could feel really connected and loved. In other words, we're not to be loved for who we are, but for how well we conform. The implication is that happiness is somewhere else down the line. And this very instant is incapable of providing us with anything worthwhile. If we can get through this moment, then the next and the next, surely some moment, sometime, will be suitable for us to really relax and enjoy life. It's akin to a highway where signs tell us that the rest stop is always a little further down the road. And so we can only stop and relax when we finally run out of gas. Craving for more keeps the economy buzzing as it chews up our resources and turns us into competitors with each other, mistrusting viewing one another as obstacles, fighting over slices of an ever-dwindling cake. 
One doesn't need to be a psychologist to know that our constant busyness is a symptom of avoidance. For when we run out of fuel and idle to a full stop, what do we experience? The return of repressed sadness, the anxiety of losses, or the voidness of meaning in life. But if we're lucky, eventually we may stumble upon a powerful, if devastating, insight. Having more only leaves us wanting more. The karma of craving is a thirst that can never be quenched. As the Buddha noted, the world is not enough to satisfy our craving. This is known as samsara, the day-after-day hustle on the treadmill of trying to get more to survive. Alienated from consumerism, we may try to locate real happiness from elsewhere. At first, we may be tempted to fly the coop, packing life into a duffel bag and catching the first plane out of here, our destination being the exciting thrills and experiences of the world. Somewhere out there we'll find true purpose, perhaps on a Himalayan hike, or ingesting peyote in Peruvian sweat lodges, (laughs) or ayahuasca with Ecuadorian shamans, surfing the epic waves of a Costa Rica shoreline which does sound pretty good right now, (laughs) will keep the feelings of emptiness at bay, expunging our deep-rooted dissatisfaction. Yet while new experiences have their place, they provide as much lasting purpose as impulsive sex with strangers provides true intimacy. Thrills are fun. They add spice to life. But we're in for a big letdown if this is where we're hoping to find lasting serenity or meaning. Some may answer all of the above by replying that praying to the Almighty is the solution. And for many it is, I am reliably informed. However, for the rest of us who, in the darkest hours of insomnia or confusion or despair, have found their earnest prayers for direction unanswered, we are fortunate that there are other paths available. The path I follow provides three sources of refuge, each of which can liberate the heart and fill life with purpose. These refuges answer the questions we've been asking over the course of lifetimes. What can I really rely on unconditionally? What can always provide me with comfort and direction in any situation? What will never abandon me? And before we answer too quickly, note that refuge is not subject to change, nor does it desert us during times of affliction. The key to these refuges lie in understanding one simple but profound truth, that what really matters in life is how we react to situations and circumstances rather than the situations and circumstances in and of themselves. We can travel to the most peaceful locations the world has to offer, spend our lives pampered in the spa, but it doesn't mean that we'll be serene in the years to follow. Yet if we learn to respond to fear and ignorance with calmness and creativity, we will indeed be graced with a comfortable and unflappable psyche. And what could be 
more worthwhile. So here are the three refuges which will be part of the ceremony. Taking refuge in the Buddha. As we abandon our shopping carts and gain a little distance from the bargain hunters, we are invited by the Buddha to contemplate being alive in and of itself. This means becoming aware of what we are left with when we drop the belief that true peace isn't available to us right here and right now. We're asked to finally put to the test the delusion that we're missing something important or that there's something wrong with us that we need to fix. In cultivating a receptive, curious mindfulness, we release our fixation from the regime of improvement in favor of opening to the vast wonders of what is already available to each of us within. Being alive is an amazing experience filled with interwoven processes of breathing and movements that are all too easy to overlook. In meditation, we lie down not to sleep, nor do we walk to get anywhere. We lie, sit down, stand or walk simply to experience those states for the depth, beauty, and wisdom they contain. Having a brain gives us more processing power than all the world's computers combined. As the Buddha noted, we develop capabilities more astonishing than traveling the universe when we explore the inner resources of our minds. In this journey, we awaken to the intrinsic marvels of life itself. Breathing in and of itself is astonishing if we observe it with enough persistence. Under close inspection, each inhalation and exhalation are different than those which came before or will come after. It's as revolutionary as the insights of Marx, Freud, or Darwin. Taking a break from the mundane dramas, we open to the experiences of life. Yes, we will have the pains and the losses felt by all beings, but we can actually enjoy the ceaseless parade of perceptions, feelings, thoughts, and moods as we learn to rest in a seat of non-reactive awareness, greeting life as it is. In opening to this wonder, we find refuge in the Buddha, for that is what he did 2,500 years ago without resources in the jungles in northern India. Two, the Dharma. The Dharma is, in a nutshell, the understanding that there are two kinds of suffering in life. The first is what is imposed on us by the world, by losses and abandonments, the insults and difficulties, the suffering we can do nothing about. They happen in all lives and aren't personal affronts, but simply the inevitable parts of a human birth. The second kind of suffering is that which we inflict on ourselves, the way we greet these inevitable challenges of life. Fortunately, the Buddha noted that there are certain practices that can reliably produce long-term peace of mind. Replacing our resentment with forgiveness, 
our indifference with kindness, our aggression with a commitment to harmlessness, our criticism with compassion, our envy and jealousy with appreciation. Once these outlooks are, through repetition, neurally ingrained into the innermost mechanisms of the brain, they are never lost, much like the abilities to swim, draw, play an instrument, remain intact. Metta is amongst the most pure encapsulations of the Dharma. It is the protective and immensely patient attitude of a mother who endures her infant's tantrums and tears, tolerating and protecting it despite its behavior. Metta, that simple phrase, may I find true peace, may I know happiness, may I live with ease, is the attention a true friend offers willingly to another friend despite their own exhaustion or discomfort. When we practice metta, we are rewarded with an inner esteem which preserves, protects, and heals both oneself and others. Three, taking refuge in the Sangha. It should be noted that true refuge doesn't come entirely from inner resources. Meaningful, secure, empathetic connection with others is an absolute requisite for developing any regulation of our emotions, any respite from our feelings of uniqueness and separation. In the reassuring glance of another spiritual practitioner, Received as we disclose our most painful emotions, we locate a bond and a care that heals even the deepest wounds that have been afflicted by others through shaming, abandonment, and rejection. As the Buddha taught, I do not see any quality by which the skillful arises and the unskillful subsides than friendship with admirable people. And that is what you are practicing in this very moment. From our teachers, we learn what is beautiful in the beginning, the middle, and in the end. A path that is surpassingly pure. The spiritual life is one of mutual dependence. For together, as the Buddha said, we cross over the flood of ignorance. Connecting with others is the most challenging of the refuges, for it requires taking risks even greater than sitting and observing our inner experience. In opening our hearts to others, we risk once again being deserted and shunned, that which we fear the most. But there's no alternative. Openness and honesty are the foundations of trust, and so resilience even if it's born of the desperation of loneliness, resilience is the key. We can develop this skill incrementally, taking our time, but it's worth taking the plunge. Finally, the precepts, which are the harmful behaviors we renounce. In entering the spiritual journey, it's not enough to commit ourselves to the destination. We have to seal the deal, as it were, by renouncing actions that sabotage our pilgrimage, loading us down with the heavy baggage of guilt, 
shame, and unworthiness. If leading peaceful, ethical lives, the relationships necessary to sustain harmony with others and gain strength from our peers would only be scarred by aggression, addiction, or careless impulses. And so together we undertake the most basic tenets found in the Buddha's teachings. For the purposes of training, we abstain from killing, from taking what is not given, from sexual misconduct, from harmful speech, or from heedless intoxication. Well, four out of five ain't bad. (laughs) Finally, it should be noted that the precepts should not be mistaken for the commandments found in the theistic spiritual paths. In our spiritual transformation, we will stumble and fall short. And while others may judge us for our mistakes, it's important to keep going and put aside any form of self-judgment. This is a process simply of learning from our mistakes and returning to our practice with renewed conviction. A slip of the tongue or a reactive impulse does not require us to weigh down our minds with self-belittling verdicts or a belief that a God somewhere is judging us. We are on a journey that requires perseverance and forgiveness of ourselves especially. As the Buddha assures us in the wonderful Kalama Sutta, if there is no life after this one, no rebirth, then at the very least, by refraining from causing harm to, one's, to ourselves or others, we live with ease, a mind clear of agitation that results from hostility, animosity, free from the trouble that such actions bring. What a wonderful promise, ease and freedom, a state more comforting than anything purchased or consumed. It is, as a friend of mine called Noah says, the only game in town. So let's take a few moments just to meditate, and then we'll conclude with the chant. So closing the eyes and practicing the first refuge of finding peace within. As so many spiritual teachers, including the Buddha, have found over the last 2,500 years or more, If we only look for happiness externally, our happiness is entirely conditioned upon others or upon ephemeral conditions. But if we can cultivate ease by simply returning to the sensations of being alive, the wonders of this birth, this life, reconnect with the felt sense of the body that protects us, sustains us, 
we may even find as we bring our awareness to the breath that continues life that we can use this vehicle to even cultivate greater states of ease if we are tired taking a deep full breath and holding it for a couple of beats before releasing it or if we're anxious or the mind is jumpy extending the length of the out-breath softening relaxing the shoulders softening the micro muscles around the eyes softening the belly So for the second refuge, the Dharma, which is founded on the Buddha's basic insights that peace of mind and mental agitation are not random events but are caused by how we use the mind itself. If we cultivate thoughts of envy, resentment, enduring fixation with one's self-narrative, and we wind up feeling isolated, disconnected. And we wind up feeling vulnerable and dispirited. But if we cultivate thoughts of kindness, compassion, appreciation, forgiveness, care, then the mind becomes luminous, 
open to make new connections and to appreciate our experience. So let's practice metta. Hold in your mind an image of yourself right now sitting or at some point earlier in your life when you deserved compassion, (coughs) kindness, when you were vulnerable and needed love and care. And just hold that image and just direct a phrase that denotes wishing yourself peace. May I find true happiness. May I feel safe. May I feel loved and connected. or I love you, keep going, or any phrase that feels resonant for you. I care about you. I'll take care of you. At first, this practice may feel challenging. We may feel that we don't deserve the phrases. We may find it difficult to cultivate the feelings behind them. Self-compassion is something that can be developed. For the third refuge, which is 
a spiritual community of friends, or any gathering of wise friends that are empathetic, emotionally tolerant, reflecting that human beings are, after all, pack animals. Our success as individuals and as a species rests dependent on how well we connect. Human bonds are cemented by the exchange of care, of glances, the mirroring look, the reassuring gesture. So let go of the image of yourself and bring to mind an image of someone who has been akin to a teacher or benefactor, someone who you've been able to rely on, someone who in some way has modeled esteemable actions. Just hold their image in your mind and then return to the meta phrase that feels resonant to you. You can make up your own. It could be as simple as thank you or may you know peace. May you be safe. May you live with ease. Bring to mind somebody that you don't know particularly well. Somebody that you may see on the street every day or at work or someone who you might just have spotted in this gathering. A complete stranger. Holding them in your mind and just wishing them well. May you know true peace. May you know happiness.
May you feel safe and loved and connected. May you live with ease. And finally, bringing to mind someone with whom you've struggled, someone whose actions do not sit well, and knowing that the cause of unskillfulness and aggression Harmfulness is always rooted in suffering. People lash out, act unskillfully because they are agitated, distressed, incapable of holding their wounds, knowing that forgiving doesn't let other beings off the hook, but it does start the process of allowing ourselves to live without resentment and to reconnect in skillful ways. Whether we discern that they are not worth connecting with or not, to let go of resentment, frees up the mind so that we can connect with others and find the relationships that are reliable. So bring to mind that person that you struggled with and to the degree that I can right now. As I would forgive myself for my unskillful behavior, I will endeavor to forgive you for yours. May you Feel safe. May you know peace so that any harmfulness will no longer occur. And now, precisely at midnight, Happy New Year's, we take the refuges and then we're done, and the precepts. So, this is what it's like.
I'm going to say the chants first for the refuges, and then you can repeat, and they'll be in Pali, which is a very ancient tongue. But the words mean, so that I'm giving you full disclosure, I go to the Buddha for refuge, the Dhamma for refuge, the Sangha for refuge. For a second time, I go to the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha for refuge. And for a third time, because we do, we Buddhists do everything in threes. And if you take this, it doesn't mean you're a Buddhist. It just means you've been to a Buddhist ceremony. <laughs> so I'll start it off. Buddhan saranam gachami. Buddhan saranam gachami. Nice. Dhamman saranam gachami. Sangan Saranam Gachami Sangan Saranam Gachami Dutiampi Buddham Saranam Gachami Dutiampi Taman Saranam Gachami Dutiampi Sangan Saranam Gachami. Dutiampi Sangan Saranam Gachami. Tatiampi Buddham Saranam Gachami. Tatiampi Buddham Saranam Gachami. Tatiampi Dhamman Saranam Gachami. Tatiampi Saranam Gachami. Tatiampi Sangan Saranam Gachami. Tatiampi Sangan Saranam Gachami. So the phrase Viramani Sikapadam Samadhyami simply means I take this precept to abstain from something. So you'll hear that phrase a lot. I'll say it and then I'll say the English. And you can just repeat the English, because the Pali is a nightmare in this one. <laughs> okay. Panatipata viramani sikapadam samadhyami. I take the precept to abstain from killing. Adina dana viramani sikapadam samadhyami. I take the precept to abstain from taking things that are not given. Kamiso mikara viramani sikapadam samadhyami. I take the precept to abstain from sexual misconduct. And in case you're worrying, it simply means causing harm to others through sexuality. Musa vada viramani sikapadam samadhyami. I take the precept to abstain from harmful speech. I heard you. All right. Suram suramira yama viramani sikapadam samadhyami. I take the precept. 
to abstain from intoxicants. And I now pronounce you man and wife. <laughs> Happy New Year. Happy New Thank Year. you for coming. If you can, we have a half an hour to just chill out, get to know your neighbors. Say hello.